Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And, whew, man, do we got a show lined up for you guys. The return of the king, Stephen Lassen, joined the show. I think we went about an hour with Stephen. So, really great conversation. Always a treat to talk with Stephen. We got uh, tried to hit on as many SEC teams as I could. Went all across the league talking transfer portal, additions, subtractions, kind of grades from Steven, impact players, coaching changes, his thoughts on all of that, quarterback competitions, made Steven make some bold predictions, as well as a little bit more. So we'll get to that in just a second. Not a ton of news and notes across the SEC, but hey, it's uh, National Signing Day. At least that's what it used to be called. Now it's just the scraps. <laughs> We're going to do a little rundown of uh, some players to keep your eye on tomorrow for their National Signing Day announcements, if you want to call it that. Uh, but before we get to that, I always like to start with something fun if we can. And Lane Kiffin, feeling the love down there in Oxford, he shared this picture. He said, Juice, the dog, of course, found this note. Sitting on the front porch, looks like a small child or a uh, simple man wrote this to Kiffin. Have you ever heard of a field goal? <laughs> uh, you sign $9 million contract, even the, the children are going to come at you, Kiffin, if you lose a game with uh, some questionable play calling. So I, I just thought that was hilarious. Throw that up there on the YouTube if you're watching via video. But... Bigger news this is really the only news item around the SEC in the last couple of hours. Last time we recorded, we thought Alabama had landed their offensive coordinator, or at least imminent, bound to happen. Not so. Washington offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb returning to Washington, not joining Nick Saban's Crimson Tide program. According to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, Grubb was the top target at Alabama, but decided to stay with Washington. He's got a lot of pieces to work with. I think he's pretty tight with the head coach there at Washington, so that makes some sense on the surface. But, man, Nick Saban can't find anybody to join his program down there. Now, I think, obviously, if uh, there weren't potential hurdles with Jeremy Pruitt, He'd already be hired down there. I remember the last time Nick Saban hired Jeremy Pruitt, it took him about an hour to to get down to Tuscaloosa, and he was working for, for him. Uh, if not for the, the pending NCAA investigation and all that going on, yeah, pretty sure he'd already be there. But certainly sounds like uh, Jeremy Pruitt, I think he will be on staff at Alabama one way or another if he gets – a show cause or what have you. He'll probably just be an analyst down there for uh, until he can get back on the field. One way or another, I think he's going to find his way on the Nick Saban staff. So you may have two de facto defensive coordinators in Tuscaloosa. They're, they're putting in a new rule, not official yet, but they're going to let analysts coach the players, which is something that uh, has already taken place all across the country, but it's not legal my favorite was Butch Jones when he was at Alabama as an analyst coaching during a game nationally televised. That was never a problem, apparently, but <laughs> neither here nor there. But last thing before we get to uh, this interview, latest interview with Stephen Lass and always a good time with Stephen. As promised, National Signing Day preview. And man. We got about four prospects to keep an eye on here at DSEC, so let's get with the big one. First of all, five-star Nick Harbor from Maryland, number one athlete in the country, could be a tight end, could be an edge rusher, elite athlete, he's a track star, runs a 10-200 meters, I mean, physical freak, 6'5", 225 pounds, South Carolina, Oregon, or Maryland, He's from D.C., but it sounds like the Gamecocks are picking up steam. This would be 
I believe the the highest rated prospect to ever sign at South Carolina under Shane Beamer, if I'm not mistaken, number 19 overall prospect in the country. 24/7 Sports gives a comp- a comp of Vernon Davis. Give you an idea of what Nick Harbor potentially brings to the the field next season, wherever he plays. He's announcing his decision at one o'clock. I know every Gamecock is going to have that feed firing at lunchtime there. We got to know if Nicholas Harbor is going to be our new tight end, new edge rusher, new track star, probably play whatever position he wants down at South Carolina. He's that good. We've got another five-star tight end to keep an eye on, Deuce Robinson from Arizona, the number one tight end prospect in the country, six foot six, 229 pounds. I believe he was an Under Armour All-American. He's down to Georgia or Southern Cal. 24-7 Sports gives a comp of Darren Waller from the Las Vegas Raiders as to what Deuce Robinson potentially is. But here's the catch. It doesn't sound like Deuce is going to make up his decision. He is a top Major League Baseball prospect as well. So the draft, I believe, is in June. I think that's when he's going to make a determination, but he could... Sign with a school tomorrow. Something to keep your eye on. And Georgia in the mix for yet another five-star tight end. number Again, number one overall tight end prospect in the country. You'd really, you'd really feel bad for Georgia if they didn't get this guy. They've only got about half a dozen five-star tight ends on the roster. But if they don't get Deuce, they may get another elite tight end. Four-star Walker Lyons from California, the number nine tight end prospect in the country. He's got Georgia, Stanford, BYU, Southern Cal, and Utah into his mix. He is set to make his decision tomorrow as well, so keep your eye out on that. Potentially a big one for Kentucky, four-star defensive lineman Kendrick Gilbert from Indianapolis. He's a Purdue commit, but after the coaching change there, Ryan Walters, our new head coach, former Illinois and Missouri defensive coordinator. Gilbert didn't sign during the early period, so he's can go anywhere tomorrow. I don't have a time for his pending commitment, but Kentucky is in the mix. This is a top 400 overall prospect, 6'6", 250 pounds. Kentucky, Colorado, Purdue, his finalists, so keep your eye out on that. And then last one's here. I told you this was bare bones. There's only... Three top 100 players that haven't signed, and one of them's Jaden Rashada, who's the only thing he signed is an NIL agreement. Now he's a free agent again, of course. Four-star twin brothers, Andrew and Michael Harris. The only reason I mentioned them, they're both top 350 prospects in the country. They were headed to Central Florida to play for Travis Williams, now the Arkansas defensive coordinator. I don't think they're going to Arkansas, but strange things happen on National Sign Day. This will be a coup, and it's always best to land a couple elite prospects when you don't expect it. So Razorback fans, don't expect it, but maybe you know keep your eye on where these Harris twins go from Florida. If they really want to play for Travis Williams, they'll be doing it in Fayetteville next season. All right, but hey, that's all we got <laughs> Again, they've they've killed our national side today. I hate it. But what I don't hate is chatting it up with Stephen Lassen, senior editor, Athlon Sports. Let's kick it over to this outstanding interview. All right, we're pleased to uh, once again be joined by a friend of the show, Stephen Lassen. Of course, you know him, senior editor, Athlon Sports, Athlon Stephen on the Twitter machine. Don't forget about his outstanding YouTube page, All CFB 365. Stephen, my friend, we have missed you dearly here. How are you doing? Hey, Mike, I'm doing great. It's great to be back. Um, I have to admit, I don't have a great What's Grinding My Gears segment like <laughs> Cousin Chain. I'm just trying to survive this offseason, man. Like like you, I'm, I'm desperate for college football, just trying to keep Things going at Athlon Sports, talking some college football with you. So I'm excited to dive in. There's a there's no off season right now in the SEC. Right. And we were kind of talking off air before we started recording that uh man, tomorrow should be 
essentially like a national holiday for guys like you and I, college football junkies, all the listeners out there. Man, I am over here yearning for the times where, um, you know, I was joking around even before I got into the media. I mean, no productivity was done that day because I wanted to see who was committing, who was, you know, the fax machines. I don't even know if they still use those anymore, but, uh, man, we have, sadly, I, I didn't mean to take a downturn on this, but uh, we have been robbed one of the best days on the college football calendar. You know what? Absolutely. It's like the the NCAA tournament is for, for basketball and I guess for casual fans. You know, you get the, the no productivity. You keep the spreadsheets up on the computer to make it look like you're doing something and nothing. I, I was telling you this, but back in college, I would have, you know, rivals and scout pulled up and you're listening to a lecture, but you're really not. Like you're just paying attention to the commitments as they rolled in. So I miss the old signing day. Like, let's bring back the National Signing Day in February and make it a a big college football holiday for all of us once again. Yeah, I hope it happens, Stephen. But, hey, while things have changed, maybe for the worse, maybe for the better, one thing we do got that we didn't have before, I mean, they call it the transfer portal window, but it's really just free agency is what it actually is. And, man, there, there has been roster moves additions, subtractions all across college football. And that is uh, just a huge talking point going into spring practice. So wanted to have you back on the show. Um, people probably tired of hearing me talk about the transfer portal. So, you know, you're I like to call you the college football encyclopedia. So wanted to pick your brain on some of the biggest additions, some of the, the best roster halls, maybe some of the uh, rosters that have taken the biggest hits across the SEC. How's that sound? Man, that sounds great. I think which which you said there about the transfer portal, um, it, it's it's true because it's made college football offseason a little bit more interesting. I mean, if you're a fan of a team that's lost a lot of players, it's probably like agonizing just waiting for that window to close. But also at the same time, I, I think what what interests me is every year we go through a cycle where you know the seniors are leaving Here's who's left for the NFL draft. But you can also see almost in real time as programs are trying to reload for the next year, bring in transfers across the board. I've always been fascinated just by roster construction and how coaches are using it. And I think we're getting real time data on how teams are going to look for next year. So it, it keeps things interesting for guys like you and me. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and hey, you, you, this is one of my favorite things talking with you, Stephen, because my brain just gets going and I, I didn't even plan to ask you this, but um, you, you know, you just hit on something important there, roster construction. And I hear from so many people behind the scenes, Stephen, that Lane Kiffin is going to drive Ole Miss into the ground because he's, I don't want to say he's abandoned high school recruiting. That's not accurate, but uh, it, it doesn't seem to be a priority for the Rebels. They're more focused on the transfer portal. And I realize, I mean, at this time last year, a lot of people were saying this is going to be a disaster. Not that uh, their 8-4 and four regular season was great or anything, but I think there's some genius to it. When you're in the same division as Alabama and Auburn and LSU and A&M, who are historically going to recruit better than you. And, and that, but that's before even looking to the East and the two programs coming in from the Big 12. So while it's easy to, I don't, I don't know if mock's the right word, but just kind of point to the issues in, in Lane Kiffin's strategy, could you see some potential brilliance in it as well as uh, you know he attacks the transfer portal as well as anyone? Absolutely. I think there's sort of a, I don't know if market inefficiency, market efficiencies is the right term here, but it does feel like, you know, I almost think the best coaches that use this, it's a balance of high school and the transfer portal. If you have a specific need, you go and get it. Uh, we saw this work well for LSU last season. It's worked well nationally with USC and Florida State recently. Um, USC almost made the playoff. You look next year, Florida State, one of the favorites to potentially make the playoff. One of the big reasons why is they've been able to balance transfers in, in high school recruiting. I think there are some guys who get overlooked in the recruiting process, and they may end up at a small school. 
you can take a chance on them. They come in for one, two years at a place like Ole Miss and shine. But I think your broader point is correct. I mean, Ole Miss is going to be out recruited by six, seven, eight schools in the SEC most years. So you have to find a way to close that gap. And one of the ways is the transfer portal. Now, I wouldn't go heavy transfer portal every year because you can't predict who's going to be in and out. And if you have a major need on defense at linebacker, there may not be guys who are SEC caliber uh, players entering the portal. So there is some risk to it. But I also think it gives teams an opportunity to reload and also helps teams like Ole Miss try to close the gap to Alabama and LSU. So I I actually like what Lane Kiffin is doing as long as we don't see him try to bring in 25, 26 transfers a year and bank on that being his primary source for talent. And two starting quarterbacks every year too. (laughs) We'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, let's start here, Stephen. Which SEC teams, and it could be could be just one team, it could be, you know, a handful, whatever. Which SEC teams do you believe upgraded their roster the most during the first transfer transfer portal window? I've got six teams I think are winners in the transfer portal from the SEC. I think let's start with Georgia. Uh, It's kind of weird to say, well, they only brought in three players, but they're a big winner. Um, Georgia had a specific need at receiver, went out and got Dominic Lovett, rah-rah Thomas. All of a sudden, I mean, Georgia could have probably won the national championship next year without a ton of help at receiver through the portal. Now they have two guys who could potentially be uh, all SEC caliber talent. Um, And certainly we saw Dominic Lovett do that this year at Missouri. I like Smoke Bowie. Coming back into you lose Keely Ringo, you replace him with another high level talent and a guy who's from Georgia. So I think Georgia, despite bringing in three guys, is a big winner here. I love what Kentucky did too. Uh, offense needed a massive overhaul after averaging only 20 points a game. You go out and get a starting quarterback in Devin Leary, you bring in a couple guys on the offensive line, defensive line, corner. Um, and Ray Davis as well, a running back. Like you hit your needs if you're Kentucky. You had some concerns, especially on offense, but losing a potential first-round quarterback, and you answered those. So I, I think Kentucky, Georgia would be you know at the top of my list of winners, as well as teams like Auburn, Arkansas, uh, LSU, and Ole Miss. I think when you look at national winners, if I'm doing a top ten top 15 ranking nationally of the best uh, transfer classes. I think LSU and Auburn are right at the top of that list. I mean, LSU just for the second year just continues to meet its needs by bringing in high level players at some of these positions, especially in the secondary where they've lost some guys, had some turnover. Auburn just needed a lot of bodies. I mean, they needed offensive linemen and they got three potential starters Uh, from the portal. So I I think Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, easily three of the better uh, transfer classes in college football for next year. So let me ask you this real quick, Stephen. Um, You know, we're crazy down here in the SEC, and that's why why I love all these listeners. I mean, heck, it's February 1. They're listening to an SEC football podcast. But should that give folks like Auburn under Hugh Freeze, who their, their team, we all know, we don't need to kick them while they're down. They were they were arguably the worst team in the league last year, if not second or third worst team. But with a new staff, by attacking the transfer portal, we, we still got a big question mark under center. I get that. But is there reason for optimism that maybe we can come in here and be a eight and four, nine and three team? Not that that should be the the year one expectation, but it maybe would not be completely stunning either. Where, where do you, do you, do you see where I'm going with that one? Yeah, I do. I think there's two different like paths with that answer. And the first one is like, if you take a look at the West and you tear it off, everybody's going to pick LSU and Alabama one and two in some order. I think three through seven, you could get a wide variety of, you know, picks for three through seven. But I think whoever's three and whoever's seven, there's probably not a ton of difference there. And frankly, it might come down to the crossovers. Like, who are some of these teams playing from the East? Like, if Ole Miss has to play Georgia next year, 
that might make it tough to finish third in the in the West and depending on some of those home and roads against the West. So I think just right off the bat, Auburn is already starting with a pretty good base level of talent through years of recruiting. They're not trying to go from 14th in the SEC and roster talent to seventh. You know, they're starting much higher up and they're trying to build off of that. By no means are they a complete roster or complete uh you know, completely empty of needs. Uh, you know, I love their transfer class just top to bottom. The fact that they added three caliber offensive linemen. Justin Rogers, I think, is an impact player on the defensive line. Brian Beatty could be a nice one-two punch with Jarquez Hunter. It is a little weird to say they have one of the best transfer classes and they didn't meet their needs probably at their two maybe biggest positions of need, which was quarterback and receiver. But that might be where the second transfer portal uh, window comes into effect. So I, I think if you're looking for reason for optimism at Auburn, you have a lot of change and turnover at some of these programs in the West once you get past Alabama and LSU. And I think this transfer class is really going to help this team out a lot. So I, I do think Auburn will be significantly better next year. We'll see what the projected record is at some point because this the West is going to be really difficult. Yeah, no doubt, and and they of course they got to play Georgia too. Uh, they play them every year. But um, one other one I wanted to ask you about real quick on on your winners, Arkansas. They did lose a lot of players number wise to the portal, but not a not a ton of huge impact players. And I believe we've hit on this before. Um, Arkansas, arguably, you can make the case uh, they've done the best with the transfer portal, taking players. A lot of guys unheralded or unproductive at previous stops and turning them into all SEC, NFL draft pick type players. Um, what, what do you like about Arkansas? Is it Because a lot of these guys come from a lower level, even though they just based on what I've read and seen from them, you know, they were dominant at that level. So um, is it a mix of that in, in the fact that Arkansas has already proven that they can take players like this in? and elevate them to to you know new heights. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's both things. I think, first of all, Jacoby Criswell is a backup quarterback, but I actually think he's pretty important for Arkansas because you have someone in K.J. Jefferson that needs to run, I think, to unlock the offensive potential. And I think if you're Arkansas, you should feel much better about your backup quarterback situation. Seems weird to say that, but I think he's actually a pretty valuable pickup. I love the receiver uh, pickups, you know, Armstrong, Crockett and Bolden uh, and some and the other guy from Hillsdale College. They're all like high measurables. You know, maybe you are stepping up in competition, but I love the the talent and the measurables and seeing how that translate. I think if you can just give KJ Jefferson a few targets on offense, I mean, this offense could really go again next year. And then on defense, when you look at each level, I think they're bringing in somebody who can really kind of be an impact player. Uh, John Morgan from Pittsburgh, good at getting to the quarterback and some of the limited time that he had. You look at Antonio Greer from South Florida. I thought he was one of the better linebackers in the American Athletic Conference uh, coming into this season before getting hurt. You look at Walcott and Johnson from uh, Baylor. Arkansas needs defensive backs, and they need them in a big way after uh, last season struggling so much to to be able to, to cover the pass. So I, I just like this class from a position of they had a lot of needs. They met them and they added guys who could be impact players on both sides of the ball. And to your point, I, I trust Arkansas and this staff to be able to put them in the right position. We'll see, you know, Travis Williams in his first year, I think is a little bit of a mystery, but I have no doubt that Dan Enos, KJ Jefferson, and these receivers will be able to get something going this year. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, trying to get on a roller coaster when you're a little kid. That that the height um, requirement. I think you got to be six foot five to play receiver for Arkansas. That that seems to be the new standard there in Fayetteville. And hey, it worked well for him last year, so should work well again. All right, how about this, Stephen? We don't like to dwell on the negative on this show, but are there any rosters that you think were maybe overall downgraded? following uh, the transfer portal window, the first period? Yeah, I, I think Texas A&M, just from a volume standpoint, they did lose some guys from the, the last couple recruiting classes that were 
highly ranked, and I think they're going to go on and make an impact somewhere else. I, I worry, uh, uh, you know, you said this about Arkansas, like you might lose some guys on the bottom of the roster just through attrition that weren't going to play a ton else, you know, at your school, maybe they drop down to G5 or, or FCS. So in that sense, if they weren't playing a lot, it's not a huge loss. But I do worry about these, when you see like A&M and you see 20 plus players leaving, you see some high four and five star players leaving the program. I think that's a lot for a team that's, you know, coming off a five and seven year, some questions really coming into the season on both sides of the ball. So I would put A&M right at the top of that list. Um, you know, as far as some of the others, you know, I think the turn, turnover at Florida is not totally surprising, giving the new staff and trying to reset the culture kind of expectations there. But I think A&M is definitely on the list of biggest kind of losses. I would also throw Alabama in there too, losing Javion Cohen, a couple of those receivers uh, this offseason as well. All right, so how about this, Stephen? The most impactful transfers – and when I say that, just kind of guys that you think will come in immediately and play, make large contributions to their team's efforts on the field next season. Who, who are some of the guys across the SEC that stand out? Yeah, I'll start at quarterback. Um, I, I Let's start at the most important position on the field because I think there's some intriguing names here. You mentioned Ole Miss earlier and a error on my part for not talking about them more when we talked about the teams, I think Spencer Sanders is really a fascinating addition to Ole Miss. It, it's from a competition standpoint, and you can say the same thing about Walker Howard too. I think both equally. It's rare that teams can keep three quarterbacks in the same room at any point because of how easy it is to transfer and start. It's hard to keep two now, and Ole Miss has three potential uh, caliber starters. Spencer Sanders I think is probably a more refined version of Jackson Dart at this point, but he was also pretty inconsistent at Oklahoma State. You can see some of the, go back and just look at the statistics in some of the games. There's four touchdowns one week, a couple of interceptions the next week. So if Kiffin and that staff can harness his ability um, to throw and run, they they have something here. And I think the future is there potentially uh, with Walker Howard. I, I think just intrigue at Ole Miss for quarterback also, Devin Leary, uh, you know, he was hurt last year at NC State, but coming into the year, I think most considered him one of the top 10 to 15 quarterbacks in college football. And I think you combine him with Liam Cohen and those receivers at Kentucky. I think Kentucky is going to be one of the most improved offenses in the SEC next year. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not the hopes, hopes and dreams of uh... – uh, BBN rest on uh, Devin Leary's shoulders, no doubt. That, that, but with getting Liam Cohen back, man, he's the magic man. He made Will Levis, so uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see. Because you got to remember when Will Levis made it to Kentucky, he had more rushing attempts than passing attempts in his entire career. Now they're getting a guy with, I think he had like thirty-five touchdowns, the to three interceptions two years ago when he was fully healthy. So that's pretty wild. That uh, you know he he. If he can fit into this offense, I mean, there's no telling the pieces around him, the numbers he could put up. And especially if they can solve some of those offensive line woes from last year. I mean, giving up the most sacks in the SEC. I'm curious to see how the two transfers uh, fit in. Uh, bringing back Kenneth Horsey is a big deal. We'll see how they can shuffle the line for next year. And just, I mean, track record, Kentucky has been very good on the offensive line. So if they can solve that, with a, a running back who ran for a thousand yards last year and, and Ray Davis and the receivers, I trust Liam Cohen to figure this out offensively, because I think to your point, when Will Levis came in, uh, he was not the, the accomplished passer that Devin Leary uh, was at NC state at this point. You know, Leary has a full season and a half of starting. Um, he has suffered two season ending injuries. So I think keeping him healthy is obviously got to be priority number one, but uh, based upon Cohen's track record and his work with Will Levis and some of the pieces around Leary, I think you have to feel really optimistic if you're a Kentucky fan. All right, so uh, moving on from quarterbacks, any uh, running backs that you think will make a big impact via the transfer portal? I know I mentioned him a minute ago, but I do think Ray Davis going to Kentucky. I mean, just continuing the theme of improvement 
uh, at Kentucky offensively. You know, losing Chris Rodriguez is a big deal, but you just throw in Ray Davis and you know ran for a thousand yards last year at Vander. But I, I think easily one of the most impactful you know running back transfers probably in college football next year. How about uh, players at the receiver position or tight end if you want to th- rope them into that as well? Yeah, I think Dominic Lovett going to Georgia and throw Ra Ra Thomas in there is huge. Uh, I mean, we all year the talk was well, Georgia can't hit big passing plays. They need better weapons at receiver. All they do is go out and add somebody who was, you know, all SEC and Dominic Lovett and, and Ra Ra Thomas, who averaged over 14 yards a catch at Mississippi State last season. So Georgia had a need and they've more than checked it by getting Dominic Lovett. And Thomas, I like Dante Thornton as well going to Tennessee. Uh, just talent plus opportunity with Hyatt and Tillman going to the NFL. Uh, Thornton was very successful in limited time at Oregon. I think he could fit in really well uh, for Josh Heupel in that offense. Theo Wiese going to Missouri, I think is really significant as well. You've got Luther Burden coming back, but with Dominic Lovett transferring to Georgia, there's an opportunity for another receiver to come in. And and frankly, Missouri needed another established weapon that on the outside or in the slot, how are they all however they all work out for Missouri. So I think Wees, Lovett, Thornton. Also, we we got to mention Trey Knox going from Arkansas to South Carolina. I think he'll be a nice uh, safety valve for Spencer Rattler this year. Now it's hard to say an offensive lineman impact player because frankly if they're doing your jo- their job you you don't even recognize them you know what i mean but uh i know we have talked about this previously but it you know it, it seems like anytime a lineman offensive lineman jumps into the portal even if it's like rhode island all conference like half the sec offers them because there's just not many linemen out there um what how difficult do you think it is for these guys? Because I know like Auburn, they picked up a couple that they're really excited about, guy from Tulsa, guy from ECU. ECU. But as I'm sitting here talking about this, I'm, I remember last offseason, LSU added an All-American from ETSU. They they added a FIU guy that like everybody wanted. Those guys didn't even see the damn field. And LSU had multiple true freshmen out there. So, I mean, getting a... a yeah, I'm not again. I'm not trying to take away from the the teams that landed offensive linemen, but it's it may may be difficult for some of those guys to come in and make an immediate impact because of uh, chemistry issues, continuity, you know, fitting into a new system, playing against these monsters that we got on the defensive front in the SEC. Um, I, I'm kind of rambling here, but to, it, would you agree with that? That it's not only is it difficult to uh, to land offensive linemen, but it's it's very difficult to have them plug in and, and be standout players at, at this level. 100%. I mean, you said it best there. Every time an offensive lineman that's potential starter caliber depth enters the portal, like you can see the offers and the coaches follow on Twitter <laughs> right after. I mean, it is a mad rush because everybody's looking for offensive linemen in the portal. And I think to, to some extent we see you know the commitments here or there and in our mind, we think they're going to make an impact, but it is a big adjustment. I mean, you look at you know guy like Gunnar Britton from Western Kentucky. Um, you know, he graded out really well in the advanced analytics. It's one thing to do well against the Rices and FAUs of the world. It's another when you got to block LSU and Alabama. So, I will be curious about how Auburn's class. I, I like the fact they've went out and got three guys who have started at G five programs and bringing them in. If nothing else, you just need depth. When you're losing basically your starting five, you've got to have guys who can either start, play some snaps as needed just to take keep the starters fresh. So I like that fact. I like the fact they've gotten proven guys from, um, from G5 schools. You're not reaching too far uh, down to FCS to find transfers. You know, an- another name that intrigues me is um, Keonta Goodwin going to – uh, from Kentucky to Florida, high talent coming out of high school. We'll see if that translates at a place like Florida, who did a great job with Osiris Torrance. Uh, he was great at Louisiana, but making that transition to Florida last season was a big jump, and he played well. I think the theme on offensive linemen is they're always hard to evaluate coming out of high school. 
and trying to guess how they're going to fit into the SEC after playing and starring at a G5 school is going to be really hard. So I'm I'm interested to see how all of these work out. So how about uh, impact players on the defensive line? I, you already mentioned Justin Rogers. I would imagine he's got to headline that group. 100%. I, I think the theme for Auburn is had needs, they met them, and they brought in potential impact players. Um, Justin Rogers, I think, can be – one of those guys for for Auburn next season, they have some losses, obviously, with Derek Hall moving on. More bodies, more depth. Uh, Justin Rogers more than checks that off. I like John Morgan, too, going from Pitt to Arkansas. You know, Arkansas with some of the turnover that they had in the portal, losing defensive linemen. You need pass rushers. Um, certainly, I think Morgan can fit there. Trajan Jeffcoat, um, as well, be an impact player next season uh, in the SEC, too. So I, I think those three guys really – headline the defensive line class for me so far. And there appears to be some outstanding linebackers headed to the SEC. Uh, which players from that group really uh, have, have your attention? Three names, I think, top the list. I think the first one is Omar Spites from Oregon State to LSU. I, I think he is a real difference maker and potentially for LSU's defense. He was first team all Pac-12 last year. I mean, just consistently around the ball at Oregon State. He was one of the big reasons why Oregon State's defense went from mid-pack, bottom of the Pac-12, to being one of the better groups last year in the Pac-12. Just his overall play at linebacker, we know LSU's had some inconsistency. They've had some recruiting misses there. I think he will help a ton this year for that defense. Monty Montgomery. Uh, going to to Ole Miss is significant. Um, you look at his numbers last year. I mean, he caused all kinds of havoc. Uh, I think six sacks, 11 tackles for a loss. Experienced, high-level defender on a defense that's got to get a lot better. So I, I really like that addition by, by Ole Miss. We mentioned um, Antonio Greer earlier, too, from Arkansas. I think one of the better G5 linebackers last season – before getting hurt. And I think just Arkansas just needs, they need difference makers there losing bumper pool and drew Sanders. So I think I look for Greer to be an impact player for Travis Williams this, this season. Now, how about uh, players in the secondary? That, that's another one where not quite to the level of offensive linemen, but uh, you know, a premier defensive back jumps into that portal, man, the, the way the game is played now, I mean, they're, they're always in high demand. Uh, are there any secondary players that are on your list? I think we'll let's start with Texas A&M's group. I, I think, you know, Mike, I think we talked earlier about the losses that they had, but I think they you start looking at their depth chart and you start crossing out names for next year and you're going, man, I mean, if Cousin Shane has any availability left, he might be playing quarter <laughs> for Jimbo next year. Uh, but, you know, I, I so I think Sam McCall and Tony Grimes transferring in from the ACC. Um, Grimes was up and down at North Carolina McCall didn't play a ton for, for Florida State last year, but they at least give that group some reinforcements with all the personnel turnover that they had. I like what LSU is doing in the secondary. I mean, basically a brand new group last year through the portal. They held up well. I think getting Denver Harrison, Deuce Chestnut, J.K. Johnson from Ohio State. LSU's got, I think, one of the better defensive back classes from transfers uh, once again this year. Now, any special teams? It could be kicker, punter, kick returner. I know what I'm hyping up this Mississippi State kicker that they got from UCLA because I'm just praying that Mississippi State can be can become a you know it's not a uh, uh, you know a complete uh, cover your eyes situation every time they kick even an extra point they can't seem to make down there in Starkville. Yeah, absolutely. I think Barmira is definitely one of the better portal additions on uh, on special teams. But, you know, so far there really hasn't been a ton of, you know, scholarship specialists transferring into the league. You look at Caden Davis going from A&M to Ole Miss. He could be another name to, to watch as far as uh, impact specialists. But I think Barmira uh, from UCLA to Mississippi State and also Osteen from UCF going to Mississippi State. I hate to repeat it, but they had a need and they met him and We've seen what South Carolina did with uh, special teams last year. So if you can fill those two voids and not have complete catastrophes, uh, you're in pretty good shape. Well, I know down in uh, Mizzou, they're pretty fired up. They got a Australian punter, and apparently he's big time. So keep that on your radar, Steve. Man, man we, we sound like a, a Big Ten podcast talking about punters. <laughs> <laughs>
So let me ask you this, Stephen. I know it's way early. All this will change. I mean, it's going to be dictated by spring and the you know summer. How how much work these guys put in, and obviously training camps. But let me put you on the spot. I I don't like to put you on the spot too often, Stephen. But I got to do it every once in a while here. I want some predictions from Stephen Lassen. Again, this could change at any point in time. Don't. Old takes expose Steven here because I'm I'm the one putting him out on the limb here. But um, there's four quarterback competitions or, or at least unknowns in the SEC. I'm, I'm really curious to know who you think as of February 1st, as we're sitting here talking, who's the starting quarterback at Ole Miss, Florida, Missouri, and Georgia. If you had to bet on it today, what would be your answer for those four? So here's a a weird question to start this conversation off. Are we counting Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow as a battle, or do we think Simpson's got the job? Oh, yeah, that's that's a really good one. All right, five competitions here because we we got to throw that one into the mix too. So don't 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 at Mike for that mistake. That's mine for <laughs> for not asking him. Um, no, I, I, in all seriousness, o- Ole Miss is by far like just fascinating from many levels, just because of the, the the names and the transfers involved. I would probably go with Spencer Sanders as the starter. Um, I, I think just his ability run pass. I think a little bit more developed in the passing game. He's had some offensive line issues at Oklahoma State. You know, he's had some problems with turnovers and inconsistency, but if they can get that ironed out and they can get him to be a little bit more consistent, I think that's a jump in quarterback production for Ole Miss. At Missouri, I would probably go with Brady Cook. Um, I I like the pickup of Jake Garcia just from a, you know, you, you have Cook and you have Sam Horn and you need another guy to compete, especially with Cook out this spring. I like that addition uh, from just a depth perspective, but I think Brady Cook eventually uh, will still be the starter. I will be curious to see how Garcia performs in the spring and see how much of a race he can make it by the fall. Georgia, uh, you know, it's interesting because you could look at the next the starter and say they're going to be more talented than Stetson Bennett, but they're probably going to miss Stetson Bennett to some extent for for all that he did the last couple of years. I would still probably stick with Carson Beck. I think the wild card in this is, what happens if Todd Monken goes to the NFL? Um, you'd be having a new coordinator. You assume some tweaks to the scheme. Stockton and Vandegrift are uh, very talented. The other angle to that is if one of these guys doesn't win the job, do they transfer at the end of spring? So it may be the Kirby's advantage to keep these quarterbacks uh, competing for the job uh, well into the summer and in the fall just to keep all those guys around. Florida, I think, is is – Mertz's job to to lose. I, I think they're bringing him in. Obviously, there's the the Rashada situation of not not being able to get his uh his officially getting to campus and all that. But I think you're bringing in Mertz at this point. He was either going to be one or two, and I think the, the hope was probably for him to be the bridge guy until the next quarterback. So I think he's the starter there. And you can give me Ty Simpson at Alabama over Jalen Milrow. Yeah, I, I lean Ty Simpson as well, but it, it's really hard to kind of go all in until we know what they're going to do at the offensive coordinator, what exactly they're going to be running. But let me ask you this, Steve, a little curveball for you. I love throwing you curveballs too. Uh, and, and I'm thinking specifically maybe a Florida, maybe at Auburn, but um, I have to imagine this is not any inside information or anything, but I have to imagine after spring, a couple quarterbacks could be jumping into the portal. And, and, and in fact, you know, it's a, it's a certainty that some will, but uh, who knows if that'll be from the SEC. So let me just throw out some, some names here. Garrett Nussmeyer. Again, I think he'll stay now that uh, Walker Howard has left, but who knows if he's clear behind uh, Jaden Daniels, maybe he jumps in there. Jackson Dart. I think he certainly could make the case that he could jump into the portal. Jalen Milrow, again, maybe that's a that's a leap of faith. Uh, Brock Vandergriff, or and I'm, I'm going to throw two two. This is wild wild card because these guys aren't even in the SEC, but I'm counting them just in case the young guns upset them here. Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma, 
Well, what's that Texas mullet boy quarterback, whatever his name is. If Arch yours. <laughs> I know he's a, he's incredible. He's a five-star. He, he probably lost five games last year, but what if Arch Manning comes in here and lights the world on fire? I don't anticipate it. I mean, that kid can't even keep his ID on him. So I don't think he's going to be the starting quarterback, but let's just imagine in this fantasy land that he is. Uh, I know he's already transferred once. Maybe he'll do it again. If, some of these guys are available. Do you think Florida, which one, let's say all of them are available. Um, you know, which one would Florida go after? Which one would Auburn go after to be their starting quarterback in this fantasy world that I'm living in right now? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I think of all the quarterbacks that you mentioned, um, I think Gabriel and Nussmeyer would probably have the most appeal just from a talent perspective. Um, I also, th- I mean, Quinn Ewers, obviously elite talent. If, if, if someone like him would enter the portal, like he would have every team that needs a quarterback be on that short list. So Ewers, Gabriel and Nussmeyer would probably top my list. I, I think on the intriguing, I would take him. Cause I, I think that there's something there. He's just, obviously he just doesn't have a lot of experience. And that's Vandegrift. I, I think there's a t- if those names are in the portal at the end of spring, you're going to see any team in college football that needs a quarterback going after those guys. Imagine Jackson Dart transfers out and, and Kiffin picks up, um, you know, Brock Vandegrift or something. <laughs> like how stupid would that be? <laughs> I could see him doing it though. You know what? Hey, you know, I, there's. If you're kipping, like, what's the downside to taking those those quarterbacks? I mean, right. if I think it says to us, and I'm I'm reading between the lines on the additions, they must not feel great about where Jackson Dart is or where they think he can be. Now, maybe that's maybe I'm just you know on my I'm going crazy over here, just desperate for college football stuff and reading too much into it. <laughs> but and it's also hard to know too. Like, did they anticipate Walker Howard getting into the portal? Maybe they were just in on Spencer Sanders. There's a lot you could read into this, but I I think if you're bringing in these three, hey, if nothing else, you have a depth at the position and you have some competition. So either if Jackson Dart wins this job, that means he's a lot better by the spring and Ole Miss is better off for it, or one of the other guys wins the job and Ole Miss is just better offensively either way. Right, and I think that is what a lot of people are missing, Stephen, when when they see Spencer Sanders, when they see Walker Howard come in, it's – Oh, well, they ain't happy with Jackson Dart. He's done. Get You know, how many hours is he away from graduating? The way I'm looking at this, similar to you, I mean, if Jackson Dart is any good, if, he's, if, if he can find motivation within himself, if he's better than what he showed last season, which I think he is, I th- you know, he got banged up. You know, this is going to drive him to be the best player he can possibly be. And if not, then he – Probably will lose the job to Spencer Sanders, but you're you're a hundred percent right. Lane Kiffin. I mean, this is big time football. We don't we can't be just playing favorites. We're not trying to, you know, keep everybody's feelings good. I mean, he's getting paid nine million dollars to win football games. If they go eight and four again and they roll out Jackson Dart because otherwise he's going to transfer, no one's going to give a damn, and they're going to be calling Kiffin out. Now, if Spencer Sanders comes in here and they win eleven games, he's going to be a hero. Uh, Lane Kiffin will be so. You know, it's all about making the team better, and it's crazy. He's unconventional, but uh, I think he kind of – I think you have to do that. And I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Ole Miss, but I, I just don't think – you can't just try to be Alabama and do their model. You can't try to be Georgia. They're they're miles ahead of you, thanks in large part to where those those programs are located and the talent they have and the historic coaches they have and on and on and on. You have to go about it differently and that's that's probably my favorite thing about Lane Kiffin. Also, too, it also hurts potentially your competition. I mean, if Auburn was in a, a quarterback and and you stole Spencer Sanders away from him, or you, or you're competing against other SEC teams for Walker Howard, and, that, and now you got him on campus, yeah. and now those two teams don't have a quarterback, that works out good for for Ole Miss. I mean, the, the bottom line about all this is really just you know Ole Miss has to get better quarterback play next year, and and I think. You know, I may have been a little bit harsh in talking about Jackson Dart earlier, but I also think he's got that potential to take that step forward. Um, some of this is on, you know, better receivers next year. They need more consistency. I think once you get past those top guys, there's some turnover. 
but I think he's got that. You see, coming out of high school, he was one of the top quarterbacks in that class. So he's got the talent. He's got the potential. Second year as a starter, if he takes that step forward, um, Ole Miss, from an offensive standpoint, is going to be in much better shape to be able to pair him and Judkins. And if Spencer Sanders just beats him out and he's the starter and he's good and he didn't go to Auburn, man, that's that's a win for the Portal King. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think he had another win. Moving on, moving on from the transfer portal, I did want to ask you, Stephen, uh, as we wind down here, your favorite additions, coaching changes across the SEC, and I have to, I assume, I'll, I'll let you answer for yourself here, but I assume uh, Ole Miss landing Pete Golding, that's got to be on your list. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a, it's almost a win for both sides. Now, if Alabama hires Todd Grantham, <laughs> <laughs> Bring I back Pete the... Goldie. Come on. Yeah. We, we right. always loved you. <laughs> I reserve the right to uh to change that one. But I, I think it, it's Pete Golding was was good at Alabama. It just wasn't quite the standard that Alabama had been um in the past and hoping to get to. But Ole Miss, from a defensive standpoint, we saw this last year. They started off great, kind of went down as the season went along. I think revamping the staff, uh, bringing in Pete Golding, who's now established coordinator from a couple different spots, I think is going to work out really well for Ole Miss. So I, I think Kiffin's defensive overhaul was a good thing for Ole Miss, and he landed one of the better coordinators that he could this offseason. Any other uh, coordinators or e- even a position coach that uh, y- you know you like the hires? Start with the position coach. I like Austin Armstrong, uh, the new defensive assistant at Alabama. He was a defensive coordinator at Southern Miss, and that defense at Southern Miss got a lot better under his watch. And and you also look at his background, just um, off-field roles at Georgia, uh, kind of, I think, kind of understands the scheme, young, up-and-coming coach. I think that's a really nice hire by Nick Saban, regardless of what happens at defensive coordinator. Got to mention Bobby Petrino. I mean, it is just a con. The content will not stop with Petrino uh, going to Texas A&M. But I mean, in all seriousness, it is a. It's the perfect hire for A&M. I, I don't think it's that different from what Jimbo was doing offensively before. So he's not gonna, you know, freak out too much about going to some pass happy scheme. Petrino loves to run the ball, blend the pass off of it. He's been a successful. Uh, obviously very successful on that. So I think given the situation that A&M is in and the need to find kind of a strong personality to push back on Fisher, uh, I think Petrino is is really the right fit. We talked about Liam Cohen too. I, I think he's going to be another, I think we'll have another standout tenure at Kentucky. Um, Kirby Moore at Missouri, I think is a really solid hire, kind of like um, Austin Armstrong. I think kind of a young up and coming coach, I uh, did some good things with Fresno State's offense. I think he's going to be a good fit at Missouri too. Dan Enos at Georgia, at Arkansas. Sorry, um, you know that familiarity with Sam Pittman. Um, he's been a successful coordinator at Arkansas before too. So I, I really think, even though Arkansas lost a good coordinator in Kendall Bryles, I think they replaced him with another good coordinator in Dan Enos. Mm. Now, final question for you, Stephen. Big question marks you have around the SEC, entering spring football. And um, I'll, I'll throw one at you. This may even be on your list. But, uh, you know, Zach Arnett, a lot of unknowns with him as a head coach. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to judge him because, it, you know, they won the bowl game. They did a great job, I thought, holding that recruiting class together. They did a good job overall keeping players from leaving via the transfer portal. And a lot of these defenders could have moved on to the NFL. They're coming back. So there's certainly signs that they are headed in the right direction. But the big question mark I have, and that we may not even have an answer by the end of the spring, but is that's the, the, the direction we're moving on the offensive side of the ball following uh, the, the tragic death of Mike Leach. But certainly seems like air raid is not going to be what exactly what we're running. They just added the tight end from Georgia. And I, as I heard it, I mean, I, I think that's the first tight end Mississippi State's had. in they, they hadn't signed one in six classes. So they clearly didn't need one before, but uh, it certainly seems like the direction they're going 
they're going to be utilizing some tight end. So uh, would Mississippi State's offense, would they factor in on some of your biggest questions and, and, and what are any others you may have? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've kind of touched on it, but you do get a sense of when you start studying the West next year, like three through seven is really there's so many questions here. You have Auburn with a new coach. I probably should have mentioned Philip Montgomery and Ron Roberts and coordinator hires. Um, you know, Auburn, good coordinator hires, a lot of transfers. Mississippi State's got a ton of new faces. The portal additions at Ole Miss and Arkansas. There's A&M. Like, there's a lot of mystery here. And I think whoever kind of figures these teams out is going to nail the, the SEC West uh, predictions. But I think it's it's hard to know what to expect out of Mississippi State. This seems like a total you know, scheme shift offensively. Uh, Kevin Barbet, who is the offensive coordinator at App State, he was at Central Michigan before that, a little bit more balanced in approach. Um, they still threw the ball well at App State with some big plays in the passing game, but nothing like uh, the air raid offense. So it it is, it's a lot different. And I think that's what I'm looking for this spring is I want to see just First glance, what does this offense look like? What does Will Rogers say about the offense and kind of any availability? Does he feel comfortable? Um, they've made some nice additions in the secondary to the portal uh, to reload that group. You know, they're losing Emmanuel Forbes, one of the nation's best corners. So I think just how Mississippi State looks and how all this comes together is going to be really interesting because, like you said, they kept a lot of key defenders in place. And I think this defense is going to be pretty salty provided they can fill those needs in the secondary. But I think we're all kind of going to be guessing about what it looks like offensively. I mean, this is a pretty big shift, uh, but you also have one of the league's better quarterbacks trying uh, to to be able to do that with this year for Zach Arnett. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've been as guilty as anybody, Stephen. I'm, I'm fully on the LSU bandwagon, but – and again, this may not be a spring question necessarily, but it's going to be interesting to see – how do they handle being maybe the favorites to win the West? And they, they probably won't be. It'll, it's always Alabama. But, the, you know, the expectations are sky high in Baton Rouge. Uh, it, while Alabama, you know, it's always revenge. Or I mean, they find the, the dumbest thing to be disrespected about. All they got to do is turn on this show. It, it's an hour of disrespect some days so uh it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out as well don't you think yeah i mean yeah you saw the lasers that nick saban was shooting at david pollock when he said that <laughs> before the national championship right uh he he's gonna he's writing that down and then at at the end of the victory he's gonna casually just drop in that no one believed that we were gonna win this year or be any good I mean, look, I mean, in all seriousness, there is a debate at the top of the SEC West for the first time in, I think, a couple years. Um, LSU, of course, won the West last year. Alabama's got a lot of new faces. I think there's more questions about Alabama than there has been. You have new coordinators. I have no idea right now what that's going to look like. There's the quarterback situation. There's just... There's just more questions at Alabama than there has. It doesn't mean that they may not hoist the national championship at the end of the year. Uh, but I think we go into the season knowing a little bit less than we have. And on the LSU sideline, I mean, there's not a ton of questions about this team. I mean, you 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 can make a list of quarterback position who wins that battle. Is it really a battle or is it just Jaden Daniels is going to start and maybe Nussmeyer plays? How does that work out? Offensive line's got to get better this year, but they've got a lot of experience, a lot of talent. We talked about the portal. They've made a lot of additions there. So and they get back Mason Smith. And I would venture to say that Harold Perkins is probably going to cause nightmares for every SEC quarterback even more next year. So, yeah, I think in general there's a debate, but also I think it's kind of LSU trending up. And we talk about playoff contenders next year. I mean, LSU is going to get a big non-conference game against Florida State. They can get to the SEC championship game and only have one loss, no losses. They might be able to get in this uh, 14 playoff again. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Stephen, I mean, I could sit here and talk SEC football with you all night, but I've taken up enough of your time. Before you go, as always, tell the audience where to find all your work. Absolutely. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at AthlonSteven. You can check out all my work at AthlonSports.com. I've got tons of early SEC stuff, transfer stuff. So if you're looking for, for more uh, you can check it out there at athlonsports.com. We're already working on our magazine as well. 
So it won't be long before that thing is on the newsstands. You can also check out my YouTube page at all CFB365. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Hope everybody got as much info, knowledge, and entertainment as I did. Sitting here chewing the fat with Stephen, the, one of the go-to college football minds out there. Always, always, always appreciate all the time and consideration Stephen gives to joining our program. But hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Should have tons and tons of coaches commenting following this epic National Signing Day weekend here. I'd say the majority of these guys are not even going to have any new prospects to talk about, but they'll talk about coordinator changes, transfer portal additions and subtractions, and all that. So stay tuned, finish strong, have a couple more shows lined up to finish the week here on the show. I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.